Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. So anyway, we're going to be talking about uh, Matthew, and we'll be in Matthew 10 today. And we'll keep clipping right along, because Matthew has some rather long chapters, and uh, but it has a lot of words from Christ. And so, we want to make note of those words from Christ, and... Uh, and put them in the context of the gospel, as well as in the context of both Old and New Testament. And ultimately, the goal is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness for every individual. And that's a journey. That's an individual journey. It's not a mass journey, although there is a time and a place where we come together in that journey. And that's very important. Do not forsake the gathering together. And we've looked at decrees of the king and, and warnings to hypocrites, which started right away, and uh, talk of healing and uh, and different stories that we see mentioned in Matthew that will also be mentioned in some of the other gospels, and that give us a little bit more insight to the to those particular stories, and we'll cover them as we go through the gospels. But just starting right away with Matthew 10, uh, it starts off with a heading of the 12 apostles. And of course, they weren't called apostles at first. They were called disciples. And of course, disciples means students. And those students are learning about the Bible. And they're learning about the message of God directly from Jesus Christ. Who's going to feed this message out as they can receive it. And he's going to feed it out in a way in which you can receive part of the message. Because it's like parables. And, you know, later on he'll be asked, you know, why do you always speak to the people in parables? And he he says that it's, it's given unto you know to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But it is not given unto them. And, of course, he doesn't mean not given unto anybody because it wasn't just apostles. There were the 70 who were performing miracles or what we would call miracles. They're actually absolutely in, in accordance with the nature of, of what man should be, but not in accordance with man in his fallen state. And so, anyway, verse 1 begins right away. And when he had called unto his twelve disciples... He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And he has uh, two different words there. That, you know, one is manner of sickness and the other is manner of disease. So we can actually look at those words in the Greek text. Somebody was talking to me this morning about, you know, wasn't Matthew written in Hebrew? Most certainly, Matthew, when he wrote 
the gospel to the people in, you know, the Jews all over the Roman Empire and, and the Parthian Empire and wherever his gospel was going to go, he, if he's writing to Jews, he certainly could be writing in Hebrew. But many Jews spoke Greek. They also spoke other languages. And so, therefore, uh, he, he could write in Hebrew and he could write in Greek. And, uh, the, the main copy we have today is in, in Greek. And of course that's come down to us through other people. We don't have anything actually in the handwriting of Matthew. But uh, we have what is considered good copies of it. And, of course, there's the Peshitta uh, Hebrew text, and there is other texts that we have, and a guy could get lost in studying that. We have the King James Bible, and the King James Bible is pretty good. There are a few places where confusion can come from the fact that they'll translate four or five different words into the same English word. And obviously the author put down different words, which give us different nuances. But they also will translate the same Greek word, or even the Hebrew word. We saw it in the Hebrew text. Five different ways, six different ways, seven different ways, eight different ways. And of course that can start influencing your perception. And the people who are doing that, even translating the Bible, are not necessarily inspired. But that's not a problem if you're inspired. If you're connected to the Holy Spirit and you can actually hear in your heart and your mind, see in your heart and your mind what the Holy Spirit is actually trying to tell everybody in the world today, whether they're in the world or in the world and of the world. The Holy Spirit is trying to communicate with you. But people aren't always trying to listen. <laughs> so, anyway, and they're, they, people want, and this is, this is the fascinating thing about mankind, is that a part of our soul can desire to hear the Word of God and the meaning of the Word of God. But there are things that get into us. And you can call them spirits. You can call them patterns of thought. You can call them trauma. You can call them ideologies. You can call them lots of things. And those words may fit better in one instance and not as well in another instance. But the point is, there are things keeping us from seeing the whole truth. And the most dangerous things to you that keeps you from seeing the whole truth, is your trauma. Your unwillingness to see the light about yourself. more you know about yourself, the more you can know about God. But if you, if you refuse to know about yourself, you're also not going to understand God. You're not going to understand what God intends to share with you. So, like I said, there are, are numerous words that uh, are translated in different ways. And in that very first verse, we see that he talks about 
uh, all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And if we go down there, the, the word for sickness, or the word that we see translated sickness from the Greek, is this word nosos, which is more often translated disease. While the word that they uh, we see translated disease in this particular text is translated disease all the time in the text. But it actually means infirmity, uh, debility, uh, bodily weakness, or can mean sickness. But it's always translated disease. And it's from a word uh, in in the Greek that uh, has to do with soft, soft to the touch. A metaphor... In, in a bad sense of effeminate, which is interesting because we have two words here that we would both identify with sickness and disease. The second one that we see translated disease always in the Bible when it shows up, and it only shows up three times in the Bible, is from a word that means soft or effeminate. And so, you know, what, what is, is he curing people who are feminine? Is that, is that what he's doing? Now, I'm not going to try to create doctrine here. I'm just letting you know there, there are nuances in these words that you might not get. Because you're not going to think, you know, being, uh, you know, like gay. Or a transgender. You're not going to think of that as a disease hardly anymore. Although it used to be considered a delusion. and a, Or at least a dysphoria. That, you know, that you, you didn't feel right. If you were a man, you didn't feel right like acting like a man. You were actually felt like you were a woman. Or you felt effeminate. And you might even be attracted to other men. Because the feminine nature is generally attracted to men. The male nature, that is because they're created, that they're, throughout nature you'll find that the female of the species is attracted to the male of the species. And in many of the animals in the animal kingdom, it is the male that has all the plumage and all the colors that attract the female. Uh, but yet the female has some elements that are also attractive to her. But the female often has more camouflage and is less likely to be preyed upon because of their flamboyant plumage like we see in many of the bird species. But just pointing this out, because we're going through a study, this other word that we see that is translated sickness in this verse and five other verses is translated disease in more verses in six different places. And it is the word gnosis which has to do with sickness and disease or infirmity. But you you wouldn't know. I mean, why do they have these two words there? Heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease using this word uh, 
Malachia, which is uh, from the word uh, that is Malakos, which actually can mean effeminate, and is even translated effeminate in the Bible, although more often than not, it's translated soft in the Bible. And so, I mean, it's worth taking that word and looking it up and seeing how it's used all the other places in the Bible. Of course, when you're dealing with Matthew, you would want to know how many places it's used by Matthew because Paul might use it as well. But we're not going to go that deep into this study right now. But all these things are possible, but you want to be led by the Holy Spirit if you want to go into things uh, more deeply. To a lot of people, even talking about the the power against unclean spirits to cast them out. A lot of people aren't going to believe in the fact that spirits can get into you. But the reality is, the the spirit, this is why the trauma works. This is why we already have articles up and recordings up on trauma. That somebody can upset you. Make you angry. Make you afraid. Same thing. Just different reaction, Different forms of the same reaction. You're now responding to that person who made you angry. Or made you afraid. And a portion of the identity of that person can actually get into you. And you will become like that person which you, that caused fear or caused anger in you. Because attention is what you've given that person. Because they made you afraid, because they made you angry, because they made you react to their presence, They, a portion of their identity can actually get into you. You can call it a spirit, you can call it a mental pattern of thought, you can call it anything. And of course, that's where grooming comes in. Where people are groomed. Where, you know, where somebody... It has no gay feelings. They don't think they're gay. But they're traumatized by an event, a homosexual event. And then they begin to think that they're gay. And, and you can give thousands of examples of that. There's hundreds of books written on the subject. And of course now people are writing books. Oh no, no, you're just born gay. Well, if you look at the, the data and statistics, no, it doesn't look like that. It looks like somehow or other the spirit of... One individual calling themselves gay that has this dysphoria with their natural gender will go out and shock other people. And when they shock them, they put a little bit of whatever spirit is in them, whatever pattern of thought in them, gets transferred over to the person that they traumatized. Now, Why is all this important to bring up in this single one verse about all manner of sickness and all manner of disease? Is because how do you overcome trauma? Key element to overcoming many, many traumas. I'm not going to say every single trauma. Although there's probably elements of this in every single trauma. Is forgiveness. Not judging. Judge not lest ye be judged. Forgive so that you may be forgiven. So that you can break the spell. Love your enemy. Don't hate your enemy. Your enemy wants to manipulate you. Wants to control you. Wants to put you under their power. And they they, they can try to do this in systems of legality. 
They can try to do this in emotional systems. Uh, you know, uh, a great story was the story of Billy Budd, where Billy Budd comes into conflict with a guy who's clearly an angry person, a manipulative person, a person who wants to have power over everybody. He's the kind of the bosun's mate. Uh, actually, I don't know if that was his rank, but anyway, he, he was the liaison between the normal officers and the enlisted men on board the ship. And his name was Claggett, and he... He did not like Billy. Billy was this good-natured person, helps everybody, all this stuff, but he had he was slow of speech. He stuttered. And Claggett went way out of his way to make Billy angry, and he successfully did that. And Billy struck out at him. And But Billy ended up forgiving him and forgiving everybody else who came against him. But, uh, I won't give away the story, but this was a classic tale of good and evil that uh, the author had clearly seen in other people. And he was writing about it in this story. And of course, now Jesus is going to be casting out demons, devils, spirits, unclean spirits that are in people. Now, whether you want to believe that there is actual spiritual identities or if this is just a pattern of thought that people are seized with because of trauma, you can think of it either way. I'm not requiring anybody to think of it. I'm trying to explain a process built into all of nature that the identity of one thing can get into the other through processes and your protection is not judging, leaving judgment to God and the and the God of nature, and not becoming angry or afraid, and forgiving if you've already become angry or afraid or were traumatized by somebody else. This is key to you being released from either a sickness or a disease. Now Jesus has other conversations with people when they say, well, is he, does he have this disease because of his sin or his father's sin? And Jesus says neither. He does it, he has it so that you can see the power of God. And of course, he may have had that disease because of his sin. He may have had that disease because it was visited upon because of somebody else's sin. But God doesn't visit disease upon you to be mean. He does it to awaken you. And and it's, it's not, disease is not a punishment of God. The disease is a consequence of walking away from the light of God. And if you decide to walk back, there are obstacles between you and the light of God, the tree of life, the life that will cure you of all disease and all sicknesses, all manner of disease and sickness. That light can heal you and make you whole again because that's that's why your subject is you're not whole. And you're not whole because you 
or your parents or your grandparents or all of the above rejected God. And we've been born in this fallen state. are Surrounded by people also in this fallen state. Now some of those people want to go back to the light. And they may want to go back to the light until it gets a little too bright. And then they'll hold back. But that it doesn't matter to your journey. Your journey has to be to the light. And you have to learn to love the light. Even though sometimes the light is painful to you. So anyway, so I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of insight into the nature of what the metaphors are trying to tell you. And how they're trying to inform you of what is going on. And of course, I talked in the last chapter about uh, the Sanhedrin being appointed by Christ. That We know that in other texts, especially, is where Jesus appoints 70 and he gives them power to go out. Gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Not just to the twelve disciples, although that's what this verse is, but a similar power was given to the Sanhedrin. They were actually received some of the power of Moses to go out and do some of the things that Moses was able to do. We don't see Moses supposedly healing individuals like Christ was. But yet there is some of that where, you know, his his sister, you know, where there was leprosy on their hand and then uh, there was no more leprosy on their hand. Now, clearly Moses didn't seem to have the power that Jesus had and maybe not even the same power that some of the apostles had. But whatever power they had, it was given to them of God. This doesn't mean that the, that those that are against life can give you an appearance of the same power. And they can. But anyway, so just so you understand, it's not just the word sickness and disease, but all manner. And somehow this is, in the terms that we see used by Matthew, this will include the removal of unclean spirits. Now, one of the interesting things is that power that is being given to these disciples is the same exousia power that we see mentioned in Romans 13. It's saying in Romans 13, supposedly, let every man be subject to the higher power. But Jesus is giving his apostles that same word, power. Are they supposed to go out and be subject to that power in other people? Or are they a power unto themselves, a power given to them as they seek the kingdom. Because now, in, you know, in some translations, they'll say that, uh, let every man be subject to the higher authority. Or they'll even say, let every man be subject to government. But it's the same word we see here where Jesus is giving them the authority and the power. To do all kinds of things that most people would consider to be miraculous. So the idea that somehow that Paul is telling us to just go subject to other people's power is not what he's saying. 
And he say, and then of course that same word that we see translated power in this verse and other verses it's translated liberty. It's translated right. So he gave them the liberty, the power, the ability to overcome unclean spirits. And, you know, like we see the word against there in the text. And that, there is no Greek word. And as far as I can remember, there is no Hebrew word for that word against. He's giving them authority over unclean spirits. He's giving them liberty. They can have their way (laughs) with unclean spirits. They can remove them or not remove them. They can cast them into the pit or they can cast them into pigs. And like I said this morning and said it before, that the, the nature of the spirit that is not getting its life from the tree of life. And of course this is, you know, the fallen, the fallen, what we call angels, the fallen spirits from the kingdom of God who denounce God and cut themselves off from God by denouncing the power of God. They are cut off from the tree of life just like we were cut off from the tree of life. So now they have to get life from another source. And to get that life from another source, might include taking a bite out of one another or coveting the power or life that is in somebody else. Kind of a vampire approach or, uh, you know, a werewolf approach. He's going to eat other people. He's going to suck the blood and life out of other people. But in, in this text, we're seeing that Jesus is giving them the power which is literally the power of governing over the unclean spirits. And that power could actually be in people in other governments that are doing terrible things. I mean, like the communists killed millions and millions of people. They they murdered millions and millions of people. 60 million in China, whatever it was, 23, 28 million in Russia. And uh, I don't know how many people have been murdered in Venezuela. But uh, the reality is, you know, we see them getting shot in Venezuela. So I'm sure people are getting murdered in Venezuela. We probably won't hear it till that regime eventually collapses. But uh, the reality is, is that if you have the Holy Spirit of God now really being a disciple of God, a student of God... He will give you that power over those spirits even if they come dressed in stormtrooper garb with batons or, uh, you know, jackboots or whatever. You can have power over them if you are actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Actually following, following the discipleship of Jesus Christ. You don't necessarily have to be a victim. And many Christians, there are many stories where Christians were protected. But everybody seems, at least the, the Roman church wants to pass down all the places where people suffered and died. And some of the stories about, 
the apostles suffering and dying may not be 100% true. We know there are apostles who they tried to boil in oil. And it didn't work. It didn't take. <laughs> we know that crucifying Christ, it didn't take. He ended up walking around again. So where does that power come from? Well, that's again that power against unclean spirits. Verse 2. Now the name of the twelve apostles are these. The first is Simon, who is called Peter. And Andrew, his brother. And James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. Which would theoretically make him also the son of Zebedee. And Philip, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and Matthew, the publican, which, like we said this morning, Luke uh, refers to him as Levi. And James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, and Labaeus, uh, I should put it, uh, maybe I have it in here, I was wondering if I, uh, surname is uh, Thaddeus, and he is also known as Jude. You don't see that name Labius everywhere, but you'll see this name Jude. Now, there were other people named Jude. And, of course, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot. Now, we know very little about these men from the biblical text. Some of these men we know very little about. But at least Matthew names them. And, you know, by naming them Simon the Canaanite, this, this message might be suitable for people who lived in Canaan, who were even Canaanites. Uh, and, and some, and like I was saying, the people in Parthia or in the Parthian Empire, which it was, Parthia covered a wide area, and there were Parthene, which is where uh, the, the country Albania exists now. And so this was not always a homogeneous group. Eventually, when they became a more centralized empire, instead of depending upon this cleverly constructed militia that defeated the Romans to the last man, eventually they were defeated. And uh, But... Already before they were defeated, which was around 247 A.D. Uh, I may be a little off on that date, but it's in that area. Trajan uh, came against them and defeated them rather badly. But he didn't kill everybody. He didn't, it wasn't like when Caesar conquered Corinth, where they it, almost everybody was killed in Corinth. And, uh, except for the women and children because they were sold into slavery. But, uh, you know, like right now, what's happening to all the people in the Ukraine? Thousands and thousands and thousands of Ukrainians have been totally displaced, never probably to go back to the Ukraine. And they've had to go into other countries where they had to register in those countries and now their labor will be used in those other countries to populate their people. I mean, right now, in uh, countries like Italy, their birth rate has dropped down, I think it's uh, dropped drastically from last year. 
for some reason or other, their birth rate is dropping for Italians in Italy. Of course, they're all vaccinated. Maybe that's connected. Difficult to say. Still early. But definitely, every month, the birth rate seems to be dropping in Italy. They were already at a birth rate that was probably not sustainable for Italians. And we see the same thing going on in France and the same thing going on in Germany. Their birth rates have been dropping. And they were not facing, you know, overpopulation in any way, shape, or form. They were face, facing population collapse. But then they opened their doors to immigrants. And they've been getting lots and lots of immigrants coming into these countries. And in many cases, the immigrants are not required to get vaccinated. Just a anecdote there, a little piece of information. But they need these immigrants to come in and take over the work positions and jobs within the country. Because if they don't have them, they won't be able to run their industries. They won't be able to run their businesses because there's not enough Germans being born. There's not enough Italians being born because their birth rate is dropping below sustainability, which leads to population collapse. You do that for a few years, and before you know it, you don't even have Italian girls growing up to repopulate Italy with Italians. They're not going to have it. And this is well known. It's not a secret. It's not coming to you always in your media. And people aren't thinking well enough to understand what's happening. But whole nations are are being wiped out. You know, France lost all kinds of people during World War II. But the population increased. <laughs> Almost always when you have a war, the population increases. Because the birth rate goes up, especially immediately after the war. Not happening. It's going down. And it's going down to population collapse. So they need to bring in people from other countries. And they're having to do that. And and like I've talked in previous programs about all the laws. Caesar saw this. Caesar saw the birth rate dropping in Rome. And and Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, and they were passing laws. And we, we explained some of those laws that they were passing to increase or encourage the birth rate to go up. Uh, because it was going down. And so, what's happening? Why does that happen? Why does that birth rate go down? Well, there's a lot of factors in this. But anyway, so we, we got through these names of these people, but there's there's a lot of things that were going on at that time that were going to be overcome only by those people who were going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if we were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and understood what that righteousness meant, our birth rate would go up. Our sustainability as a people would go up. We, we have no danger of overpopulation in the world today. We have an extreme danger of population collapse. By circumstances and by the design of some. 
but not according to the design of God in any way, shape, or form. But people don't know what the design of God is. It's here in the text, but people are missing it. So, we go on to verse 5 here. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He doesn't say go to the people of Judea. He says go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Might include people living in Judea. But it might not include everybody living in Judea. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now again, Matthew is the only one who mentions kingdom of heaven. And he also mentions kingdom of God. And we look at the verses where kingdom of heaven shows up. In the other gospels, they're talking about the same event, the same statements. And they use kingdom of God. So to some degree, those phrases are interchangeable. Yet, for some reason, Matthew wrote it one way in one place and another way in another place. And like I said, to many Greek uh, experts today, the best translation of the word we see translated into heaven is actually the word kingdom of the world. So, Jesus is sending out preachers to preach the new world order of God. That's what, you know, the government of God for the whole world, for everybody. But since it's a voluntary government, they're not necessarily required to follow it. It's about choice. Because way back there, the first verse there, he gave them power which is a word that is also translated liberty. And it means, it's defined as the liberty of choice. So the kingdom of God is about choice. You can choose to follow the way of God and the righteousness of God, or you can choose not to. In this case, he's he's saying, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but also heal the sick, cleanse the leper, Raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. So this power to do these things of heal the sick or, or cast out devils, is it, it's a power given to these people that he's sending out. Here in Matthew, it appears that he's sending out the twelve. But in other places, it appears that he's he's sending out even the 70 had this power. So, the, the word sick there actually is the word for weak. To be weak. To be feeble. To be without strength. To be powerless. So, he's saying to heal the people that are weak and, and, and powerless. And even impotent men. It can actually, it's translated impotent men in, in at least one, one place. So, it's not very specific. It's generally. But then he also says to heal the leper. Now, leprosy was a big problem in those days. 
Uh, but it also represented almost any kind of disease that even appeared to be like leprosy. Uh, where a person is literally rotting away right before your eyes. They're alive. They're walking around. But there is a decay in their flesh. But of course we know that this is a spiritual message as well as a physical. There's a real kingdom. But it's also a spiritual message. The people that are rotting inside. What would make you rot inside? Anger? Hate? Resentment, desire for vengeance. These things rot the soul. So, he's also talking about the power to heal that. And of course, those things of anger and resentment and, and uh, wanting vengeance on people that, that rot the soul, we need to be healed of that as well. We can't just decide in our own tree of knowledge, well, I'm not going to be angry anymore. I'm not going to be upset at it anymore. And you know darn well that's true because you'll just think, well, I'm not going to let that person bother me. And then the next thing you know, that person is bothering you. It's because you're not fully healed. They're putting their fingers in your wounds. They're poking your soft spots, your weak spots. And those weak spots can show up in a hundred different ways. And so... This power of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness not only can heal you, but it can heal those others around you. But you have to cultivate it, not just when you have need, but when anybody else has a need. You have to, because one of the chief commandments, two commandments, love God, which is the giver of life, but you also have to love your neighbor as yourself. So the reason you gather together is not for what you can get, the healing that you can get, but the healing you can give others, the assistance you can give others. If you don't come together for that purpose and in that spirit, you're not coming together in the spirit of Christ because Christ didn't come to feel good. He didn't come to feel righteous. He came to serve the Father by even going so far as to lay down his life for his fellow man. You can't fake that. That has to be really the Spirit that is bringing you together. So in verse 9, Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purse, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither extra shoes is what he means here, nor yet staves for the workmen, is worthy of his meat. So he's sitting out with not much other than the power of the Holy Spirit. But of course they'll, they'll come back clamoring about how great things were when they were gone. There were some problems. But they were learning that the power of the Holy Spirit is immense. So people who are, you know, I actually uh, on Facebook I, I, I'm following a preparedness group of Christians, Christian preparedness. Yeah, there is no better preparedness for whatever they think is coming than to do what Christ said. And, and I don't remember any place, maybe some of you can find it, where Jesus said, stock up. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you can't stock up or, or cut firewood ahead for the winter to come. Obviously, you can do those things. But don't think that they're your salvation. 
They are not. Your salvation is in the tree of life, in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit of Christ. That is your salvation. So anyway, uh, in verse 11, And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence, till ye leave. And when ye come into a, a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. Now, these are people who have this special power. So, their peace coming upon you, it, it's actually going to have an effect on everybody in the house. Not because you will have an effect, but because you become a conduit of the Holy Spirit. So, let your peace, as he says, come upon it. But if it be not worthy, that your peace return to you, and whoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. I mean, that's kind of like I'm leaving this, these guys to their own resources. Uh, I'm not going to worry about it. I, I have I have a job given to me by God, and we see it spelled out here, to go and do this. And we don't judge them, because, you know, tomorrow, maybe another apostle will come by, or another disciple of God, and they will be more receptive. Yeah, it's not our place to judge either. He says, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So that doesn't sound too good because Sodom and Gomorrah was supposedly utterly destroyed down to the very green glass sand that they find when they dig in the area that they believe that Sodom was. They go down excavating, excavating, and all of a sudden they come to an area where they don't find any evidence of people living. They don't find any evidence of really even animals, you know, crossing and grazing in that area and their bones. They don't find that. They barely even find scorpions and and beetles, which have a tremendous survivability. But eventually they come down to an area where there is supposed to be this green crystalline glass all over the ground, just cracked and broken, but these little particles of green crystalline glass-like particles, like melted sand. And they find it all over in a whole area, uh, all around the area. At least that's what I, I haven't seen it myself, but I've heard it reported. And then, of course, the the punchline of the story is people are trying to figure out what it was. And somebody says, well, I've seen that before. Where did you see that? At, at the... Atomic testing grounds in, was that in Nevada or Arizona? <laughs> the proving grounds for the atomic bomb. When they, they set it off, the first time they set it off, they, they set it off in the air, but it was over up in the air. And it melted the sand everywhere and created this green crystalline glass. So somebody believes, you know, the story is, is that whatever destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was actually like a nuclear bomb. And it could have been. It could have been all kinds of things. But it's an interesting story. So anyway, 
The point that we need to remember is that it, we're not judged. We share the kingdom of God with people. If they don't want to receive it, they don't have to receive it. Uh, it's a matter of choice. When they do receive it, then we take more time and help them uh, seek the kingdom of God. And of course, seeking the kingdom of God is people coming together, caring about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves, just as Christ came together with us to care about us as much as he cared about himself, even more so, where he was willing to lay down his life. So that's the spirit of the congregations of the God. If people are getting together because they really like the music, they really like the stained glass windows, they like the fact that this church is air-conditioned and that one is not, whatever. that They like the people there, but they don't like the people over there. It's not about, you know, there are a lot of people. Jesus came for the sinner. We just saw that in the previous chapter. And for tax collectors. He came for them too. Because they were sick. But he came that they might be saved. This this is why you come together. So that others might be saved. Not to save yourself. But so that others might be saved. Verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Now that, most people have heard that phrase. You know, sheep in the midst of wolves be as wise as serpents. Well, serpents, how smart are serpents? I saw a serpent just the other day. I was coming back from the other place and he was out in the middle of the road. It was a cold day. But he was out in the middle of the gravel road and, uh, laying there because that gravel was soaking up a little bit of the sunlight and he was getting a little bit of the sunlight, but he needs to go hibernate because it's getting cold. It was 10 degrees, supposedly, in Paisley. I came came back from Paisley just today. Had to go down there to help somebody else out. But anyway, that serpent was out there soaking up the sun, but serpents aren't that wise. Serpents are clever. Let's put it that way. That is a word that is, it's not the only word for wise, but it actually means intelligent. It's always translated wise. But, uh, phronemos is, is the word there. I don't know that, that's basically the word there as an adjective. But, uh, it might be spelled a little bit different. We can look at that. But, uh, I don't find a lot of that in Matthew. I find a lot of that in Paul. Paul's always spelling words a little bit different. Not always, but a lot of the time. I mean, he's even making up words. Paul's putting words in the in his epistles that you won't find anywhere else in any other Greek literature anywhere. Because he needed new words to describe the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom. Because it's hard to describe to a lot of people. Hopefully you guys are starting to catch on. We're just talking about it here. But really what's going to teach you what it means to be as wise as a serpent, as harmless as as a dove, is the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's, you know, those are the things we have to learn. But again, if we go back up to that power that he was granting them in the first verse, that will protect the sheep in the midst of wolves. Which is why I went to all the trouble of explaining that. And I, I've given stories in the past. We're not going to do it right now. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit later. 
were, I was in the midst of wolves, men who hated Christ, men who hated the truth, men who would want to arrest you and throw you in jail, maybe even beat you up. And they were not able to do so because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I, that's given. It's, it's not something I have control over. It, it's given you. I'm just telling you it's there. But you have to sincerely seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will come out and make that difference. But it's a real difference. Because I had no power to stop these people. But God had the power to stop them in their tracks. And even force them to bow down. Not to me, but to that Holy Spirit. That power existed for Moses. Don't kid yourself. And for the 70 that Moses picked. But eventually by the time of Jesus Christ, the 70, the Sanhedrin, was a corrupt institution. And we could talk a lot about how that corruption crept in over the years. I mean, that's what the prophets are telling you. You know, that's why we have done a lot of the prophets to show you where that corruption comes in. And it comes in most emphatically when you begin to covet your neighbor's goods. It comes in more so when you start taking a bite out of your neighbor. When you neglect to come to the aid of your neighbor. That when you create systems of Corbin based on force instead of on love and charity. Because love and charity are the same thing. Whenever you go down that path, you, you'll become weaker. You'll become softer. And guess what? You will see more people becoming effeminate. More men becoming effeminate. And, and women perverting the natural use uh, of the gifts that God has given them. And you will see a decline in birth rate. And of course, that's why we're seeing all these things. Is because a hundred years ago we began to depart from the ways of Christ. And the ways of the early Christians. Now we've always had some elements of that. But in a much bigger way. In a national way. We began to covet our neighbor's goods. Like I say, in 1910, most everybody did not go to public school. Most of the funds that went to supporting public education were privately donated. Until 1910. And then in 1910, that began to switch. More people started going to public school than were taught outside of public school. Still, at that time, most public education, most of the cost and expense of public education was paid out of private donations. And uh, the buildings were built. Nobody was paid. They built them themselves. In Virginia, back in the days of Thomas Jefferson, he wanted them to build a school within walking distance in every single precinct. Wherever anybody lived, they could walk to a school that same day. He wanted to pass legislation saying that they needed to do that. There's no appropriations for that legislation. It was just, and, and there was no penalty. You're not going to get arrested if you don't build that school. But he wanted to make a record that that was what the state wanted everybody to do. But they still, it was all voluntary in how to do it. It didn't pass into statute. But, uh, 
and one of the reasons why they were already doing it. And most of those schools were built by who? The militia. That's what the militia was doing. Went out there marching around in camo and, and you know, AR-14 practicing or, uh, you know, so that they could be ready for a war. They knew what was going to make them ready if there was a war was a well-educated youth coming up to replace them because they lived for their children. They, you know, nowadays, you, you've all heard about it, where somebody, they weren't real successful or as successful as they wanted to be in sports. They maybe went out for sports, but they, you know, maybe they were too short for the basketball team or whatever, and they didn't make it. But they want their kids to go out in sports. And people say, well, they're just living their dream through their kids. They want their kids to be successful because they weren't. And and we see that. It's a, it's a real problem. They shouldn't be doing that. Real Christians live for their children. Not spoiling them, but strengthening them. And I'm not just casually mentioning that. That's going to be key in understanding what seeking the kingdom of, of God and His righteousness is all about. Because you don't want to be like Sodom, which we just mentioned. Because the sin of Sodom... I should put a link there because I, I just created a, a, a link that will take you to what the sin of Sodom was. And there are, I've put out a number of quotes that help you understand that. And I'm, as I find more, I will add it to it and then it will just proliferate across the entire website so that anytime somebody comes to that footnote, they will see, oh, okay, the sin of Sodom in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. What does not strengthen the poor? Legal charity. Providing education at no expense to anybody but your neighbor. You know, you can send your kids to public school and then get an education in a public school. And how do you fund it? Well, you don't send out people and try to get donations. You put it on the tax levy. You know, you go to Matthew before you repented and followed Christ. <laughs> and you say, tax the people. Take away by force from the people so that we can have free education. That's anti the spirit of Christ. That's anti-Christianity. And somehow that was accepted. In the late 1800s, that began to become more and more accepted. And by 1910... It was still becoming more accepted. Now, out here, they built a new public school north of us by, I don't know, 30 miles, 35 miles. And uh, they didn't do it all for the right reasons or anything. But the land they built it on was donated by a farmer who donated the land to build the school. He didn't get any money for it. Now, the building, they put that on the tax rolls. But... That remnant of the idea of us giving to make it happen was still a little bit alive in this county. We need to breathe life back into it. We need to raise the dead. And the only one who will be able to do that is those that are receiving the power, the exousia of Christ. The disciples of Christ who will receive that power to raise the dead and drive out the unclean spirit that has gotten into the hearts of so many people. 
And uh, and those demons not going to like that. But uh, that's, I'm laying out what it is that we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and what that's going to be looking like. Because we already have large homeschooling uh, groups in this county. Like I said, it's the most least un the least vaccinated county in the state of Oregon and possibly uh in the west coast. Uh, this side of the Mississippi. Probably uh you know, I can't speak for every county. I mean there's a lot of counties in Texas. I mean there's some counties in Texas that got like a dozen people. So, you know, that they could have percentage wise they could have less vaccinated. <laughs> but uh but uh, that was a statistic given to me by the government recently is that we're probably the least vaccinated county in Idaho, Washington, Oregon, and California. But uh, uh, anyway, but are we vaccinated with the Spirit of God? Are, are we actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Because that's what we're going to have to do. And we need to get on that right away. No more excuses. Because we're in the midst of wolves. <laughs> and uh, so we need to know the ways of God. So anyway, he says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. And of course, that word council there, that again is the word that we can see translated Sanhedrin. Uh, uh at least it's Sunadrion in in the the Greek, and uh, that that it doesn't really come from the word Sanhedrin, which has to do with the number seventy, but it's a very similar word to that. And uh, but we see it translated uh, council numerous times. I was trying to see, do I have? I don't think I have. The, the Greek on this page in the footnotes, but we can certainly make sure it gets into here. And so there's note to self to put it in here so that you have both. Well, actually, I think I do have it, but it's not actually on the page where you can read it. Oh, yeah, you can. Uh, I have it as a clickable link in the footnote so that you can open it up. Uh, without going off the page, and then you can see the actual definition of it. it it's presumed from a derivative of a compound and, and uh, base word, which I'll expand that as well. But it's always translated council uh, whenever it appears in the Bible. But it is definitely correlated with the idea of the Sanhedrin. Now, just to give you a, a clearer picture, the Sanhedrin back at the time of Moses was not a judicial body. It wasn't making up new laws. Uh, the ten family congregations set up new judgments. They didn't make new laws. The laws already made. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love God uh, uh, and no other. put no other gods before him. I mean, basically, the, the ten statements cover the law. But Moses wrote down these judgments, which we can also call statutes, Sometimes they call them ordinances, and what they are is simply the precedent, because each individual court, which was composed of the members of congregations, would decide fact and law. Now, if they decided wrongly, there would be repercussions. If they decided correctly, 
they would remain free. Well, somewhere along the line, we decided that it was okay to covet our neighbor's goods as long as we do it through men who exercise authority, even though Jesus said you were not to be like the governments that exercise authority and call themselves benefactors to give benefits to the people. You weren't to be that way. Somehow or other, all of church entity said, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. You can covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through men who exercise authority. But, of course, they told you that Romans 13 meant everybody should be subject to the government, which is completely contrary to what Christ taught. Now, if you are subject to the government because you've gone and registered, because you've gone into debt, because of one reason or another, you've taken an oath, which Jesus said not to do. You swore allegiance, which Jesus said not to do. But if you've done those things, then you have to fulfill that promise. You have to make your yeses yes and your noes no. But if you are really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, really following the decrees of Jesus Christ, which said swear not, you wouldn't have got into that trouble. But you didn't see the part where he says swear not. They got you thinking that swear not means don't use bad words. <laughs> don't take the names Lord in, uh, the, the name of the Lord in vain. Well, taking the name of the Lord in vain is saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. But if I need anything, I'm going to apply to the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other to get benefits at the expense of my neighbor and even curse my children with debt so that I can get all these freebies from the government. See, if you're doing that, you know that you're not a Christian nation. That's just right off. You can write that down. Item one. Not a Christian nation. Because you're doing the opposite of what Christ is. The people who are doing opposite of what Christ said to do are not followers of Christ. They're not Christians. They may think they're Christian, but they're actually workers of iniquity. Especially preachers who get people to think that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. We we know that those are prophets of the beast because they're delivering their congregation under the power of the beast. They're not under the power of Christ. So they're doing that. But you also know something else. And this is why I numbered the first one. You know you're not a Christian. You know you're not a Christian nation. Those are kind of subsidiaries of each other. But the other thing you know, you're not Israel. You're not Israelites. You're not following Moses. And if you have to follow Moses in order to be a Muslim, well, you know you're not a Muslim either. Now, of course, I can find you lots of Muslims that say, oh, no, no, you can covet your neighbor's goods. <laughs> I mean, I can find Muslims that say, oh, no, you can bear false witness. You know, but that if if they accept Moses as a prophet, if they accept Jesus as a prophet, how in the world are they going to men who exercise authority one over the other over their neighbor to get benefits at the expense of their neighbor? Uh, they're not following Jesus. They're not following John the Baptist. They're not following Moses. They're not following the prophets. They said that we weren't supposed to do that. So who the heck are they following? <laughs> and I use the word heck there specifically to draw our attention to this. So, anyway, so if we continue in this uh where it warns you about being brought up to the council, and they will scourge you 
in their synagogues. That's not in the council. That's in their synagogues. And uh, they'll whip you. They'll they'll cast you out. They'll push you out of their synagogues. Which is okay. You know, people ask me, can I go to another church? Sure, go there. Until they kick you out. And when they kick you out, you know, well then, shake the dust off your feet, which we just saw. And go where they're not going to kick you out. You know, now don't try to be obnoxious. But if they won't accept the, you know, like I always tell this story, I've told it many times, where I, I put a pamphlet in my back belt and I was going to a big meeting up in Washington. And I actually put a couple in there. But uh, one specifically I put in there. I remember looking at it, putting it in there, knew exactly where it was. And I got to talking to a guy. And uh, long story short, I saw that he needed to read Body of Christ versus the Body of the State which is taken from one of the chapters of That Kingdom Comes. and Or actually, The Covenants of the Gods. And uh, I handed him, I reached back and pulled that pamphlet out and handed it to him. And uh, the pamphlets were made so they could be put in the mail. So they're, they're 5,000 words, you know, 12 full-size pages, but it's a pamphlet, so they're folded in half. And I gave it to him, and I said, read that. He said, okay. You know, we'd had a pleasant conversation, agreeable conversation. And he read it, and the next day I saw him at the same meeting. And he came rushing up to me, and he says, this is, this is it. This is the answer. This is what I was looking for. I mean, really thank you for giving this to me. I can't wait to get this back to my church and share it with all my brothers at the church he went to. I think it was the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I might be wrong on that. But uh, I said, let me give you a heads up. You can do that, certainly. Freedom of choice. But they may not see what you're seeing. They may reject this. Uh, You think they... He says, well, they couldn't help us. This is so clear. Just lays it out piece by piece by piece. Well, for the purposes of that pamphlet, I think it does lay it out pretty good. And I saw him months later. Just came across him bizarrely at a completely different place because this was, you know, I don't know, 800 miles away from me. But I don't know why I came across him in another place. But uh, anyway, uh, he said, they kicked me out of the church. (laughs) I says. Well, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, you're free at last. Now you can seek others who are willing to see the whole truth. They were willing to see some things. You know, I found people in Jehovah Witness truths, Catholic churches, Catholic churches, um, Seventh-day Adventist churches. I found Buddhists who can see some of the truth. But the whole truth requires that you see your whole heart. Your whole mind, your whole soul. In order to see God more and more, you have to see yourself more and more. And honestly, see yourself and not judge yourself. So anyway, it goes on, did I read 18? And ye shall be brought before the governors and the kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. So, to be brought before the governors and the kings for his sake... You need to have that Holy Spirit. 
because in a lot of places in governments today, everybody talks about draining the swamp. Swamp lives in the hearts of men who seek power over their neighbor. And because you've created a government of power, and you've been expanding that power until these little horned government beasts that you created now have huge horns, huge power. They will devour you. They are full of wickedness and evil. And you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with that. So, don't seek to go before the rulers and governors of the Gentiles. Seek the Holy Spirit so that you'll be ready wherever God sends you. Verse 19, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. This is a phenomena of the kingdom of God. And each of you need to cultivate that or allow it to be cultivated in you by the Spirit of God. But anyway, going back to Matthew 10, he says, take no thought. Don't, because, you know, the fact is, if you start taking too much thought in this, now, that doesn't mean that you can't consider it at all. You know, like, mostly when you come across things that you don't understand, you can ask that question. You can ask it of other people. You can ask it of God in your your prayer closet. You can open up the book and say to God, show me. Maybe he'll show you. And, and you can do all those things. You're taking thought of what you might have to say to somebody else. But exactly what you're going to say, that needs to be in the moment. It needs to be given to you by the Holy Spirit. And if you have too much prepared, too much memorized, you're not going to be speaking from the heart. And so you have to take that into consideration. So that's what he's talking about there. That it's going to be the Holy Spirit that puts the words in your mind and in your mouth. And so that's that's ultimately what you should recall and remember. Verse 20, For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father, which speaketh in you. I've told stories about this, where I had to deal with people that were actually had a demon in them. Whether you believe in demons or not. I mean, this guy was a bad guy. Uh, he probably was a murderer. It appears that he was, based on information we got later on, that he had already killed somebody. He definitely was a sociopath. And uh, I was safe all the time around him as long as I remained in the spirit. But he, he was the guy who would poke at you. And he made me angry once. You know, most people wouldn't even have noticed it. But he was poking at me and I responded from me, not from the Holy Spirit. I immediately saw he had power that he didn't have before. I immediately saw the Spirit in him had power. And was he was coming at me. And I saw immediately in that same second that it was me who just spoke to him. I stepped out in front of the Holy Spirit and spoke to him. And I repented of that in a split second. And he was stopped. And he was just stopped dead. And the Spirit in him was stopped dead. And, you know, I ended up... Uh, saying, well, you know, I have to go do things, but 
you know, you'd be ready to go as soon as I come back. Some of you are familiar with the story. Uh, name was Lance Bishop. That wasn't the name he gave us, but it ended up that that was at least one of his other aliases. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I had to go back and, and meditate and uh, pray about this because I knew, like, I screwed up. And that's what I was thinking in my mind. I screwed up. And I realized how important it is not to put your own voice Especially in those dangerous situations when you're brought before the demons of government. Because there are demons in government. There's demons in hospitals. There's demons a lot of places. And whether you want to call them demons or not, you don't have to. But there's spirit of evil around. And uh, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit when you, because, you know, you're sheep. You're going to need the power of God to keep you safe. So anyway, there I am sitting there, and a guy called me out of the blue. I hadn't talked to him in weeks and weeks. And he said, I was just sitting here, and all of a sudden I started thinking about you. Is that guy that has been staying at your place, is he still there? And I said, yeah, but uh, we're about to head to Lakeview. I'm going to put him on a bus, and he's going to leave. Now, I wasn't kicking him out. He kicked himself out. But he was down at Renega on the kicking himself out. He's... You know, we'd already made arrangements, everything, so he could leave on the bus in Lakeview. There's no bus in Lakeview now. But but anyway, he says, well, I want to go with you. And I thought, like, oh, well, well you don't need to. And he says, no, I, I want to go with you. I want you to pick me up. I had to drive through the town that he lived in before I, 75 miles to the bus station. And he lived 40 miles away, so I'd pick him up on the way. He says, I will be ready. You stop at my place and give me a ride to town too. And I said, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so there was our two witnesses. And uh, why, you know, he's never asked about that kind of thing. Never wanted to have a ride with me anywhere. <laughs> I hadn't talked to him in weeks and weeks and weeks. And we just had this. And, and God mustered an army because... The guy that was threatening me, he was big. But this other guy, he was bigger. <laughs> so, not that you actually need a bigger guy when you're dealing with the Holy Spirit, but it was it was great. But to me, it was a sign how God can work if you let God work in your life. And, and fear takes God's Spirit away from you. Because fear is judging that God isn't going to be there for you. That's what, when you feel afraid, when you feel anger, when you feel the need to judge others, it's because you don't think God can do the job. He can do the job. But you gotta give him a chance. So anyway, trying to paint this picture for you. So, because when you speak, you let God give you the words. And if He doesn't give you any words, shut up. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. So, verse 21, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. We've talked about that recently. How this mass formation in our whole series on the mass formation of psychosis and that book, you can go look that up, where I reviewed the book by Desmond Matthias. Uh, yeah, that's happening. We're, we've seen it happening in places like Iran. We've seen it happen in places like Syria. We've seen it happen in, 
in coursing communist China and and you know I just told you a story about the fact that you know when they had the cultural revolution the children in the school murdered the principal with impunity because it was okay with the government and these were girl children teenagers but girl children murdered the principal so yeah that happens and where does it happen the more you see socialism rise real socialism communism the next step if they're allowed to raise up and raise up and raise up the more you will see that and of course that's what we see a, a genuine effort to raise up more socialism more communism in America today the people who are doing it they're not our enemy the enemy is the fact that we're not raising up the kingdom, which is the absolute antithesis. Because the kingdom's power, even if you're only 5% of the country, will change the course of history in America. But you have to change your course, and you do that by first repenting, which is changing the way you think, and realize that Christ was setting up a system of social welfare, that bound the people together in social bonds instead of contractual bands. And those bonds allowed them to interact in a way where they had to practice forgiveness on a day-to-day basis. Had to practice sacrifice. This is the temple sacrifice that we need to begin. It's not over there in that nation they call Israel. I mean, they can do it. It's certainly a free country. <laughs> not not all that free, but you need to. That's Israel. Israel is where God prevails. And the ways of God prevail. So if you're not doing what Christ said to do, you're probably not Israel. You're probably not the church established by Christ. You're probably not the kingdom of heaven. And you can oppose the new world order, but you don't have the righteous order of God back in you. And so you will just be sheep amongst wolves and you will not have the power. But if you want the power of choice, you have to start diligently giving your neighbor the power of choice. You can't be taking a bite out of your neighbor and tell me that you are taking a bite out of the Eucharist of Christ. No, they are not compatible. You need to repent, think differently. So, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of God be come. So, now that, Opens up a can of worms. That's verse 23. If somebody wants to open up that later after we get through this. How many more verses do we have? I don't know. Will we get all the way through this? Did the Son of Man come already? (laughs) Everybody talks about the second coming. It's not numbered in the Bible. He can come as many times as he wants. Did he come already? That's a good question. But I'm not answering it right now. I'm going to verse 24. The disciple is not above the master, nor the servant above his Lord. 
So what they did to Christ, they could do to us. But how badly do you want to do what is righteous and be a part of the righteousness of God? It It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and that the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household also devils? And of course they will, and they will try to kill them. But like when they killed Christ, it didn't stick. Will it stick with you? Well, if they decide to kill you, uh, will God protect you? He will until he won't. And even if he doesn't protect you from that ultimate death, what was the prayer in the Old Testament? Though he may slay me, I shall serve him. That question is before us all. So, verse 26, fear them not, fear not. Therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. And nothing virtually hid that shall not be known. That I tell you in darkness that speak ye in light. For what ye hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetops. He's telling, these are instructions again, remember, for his disciples. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And of course, what is hell? Another whole discussion as to what is hell. I might put a footnote there on exactly what is hell. I don't know if I've created it yet, but I should do that. Note to self. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Yet one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not. Therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. So anyway, that's the fear not. Have no fear. Fear not section. Of, of this chapter. And now in verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. Him will I confess. Also before my father. Which is in heaven. And if you look at those words in the Greek. You know one is third person. One is first person. And. But what exactly does it mean to confess. Jesus before men. You know, if you look at the definition, it's homologio. It's not the only word for confess. But uh, homologio is uh, is a word that we see here in this particular context. And most of the time it is translated confess, but it's also translated profess and even promise and give thanks and confession is made, acknowledge, etc. But the actual definition is to say the same thing as another, to agree with and assent to another. So you have to actually agree with what Jesus said, which takes us back to what I was saying, that if you don't do what, if you're not doing what Jesus said to do, if you're doing the opposite of what Jesus said to do, you can tell me you love him all you want. 
But you're not confessing him. Because you're not doing what he said. And, and he said this. Be doers of the word. I have a footnote for that. I should put that in there. Be doers of the word. Not hearers only. And of course, Jesus has whole parables about those who say, yeah, we believe in Jesus and we do great things in his name and everything. But Jesus said, get you from me. I know you not. How do you know if you're in that group? Just because you say, Lord, Lord, just because you say you believe in Jesus doesn't put you in the group that is actually following Jesus. You could be in that group that is still workers of iniquity. And of course, if you're following along, you're seeing how important. And how many people will get this? Well, we need lots of people preaching it. And the only way you can get to the point where you're able to preach it is that you start doing it. And which is why Christ, Christ is not just sending his disciples out so that he gets the word out. He's sending the disciples out so that the word gets in them and is grafted into them. Because later on, some of the same people he's sending out at this point, doing all these great things, will end up denying Jesus Christ when the shepherd is struck. They will need to tap into the Holy Spirit directly. What The gifts that they were given to go out there and do these things were given to them. Freely given to them. They didn't earn them. And of course that's why you're, the people are right that you, you don't earn salvation where God owes you now. That, that's, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. But there's a lot you can do or fail to do that will keep you from the Holy Spirit and block the Holy Spirit from entering into you. And so then you will have to manufacture an artificial Holy Spirit, which is often done through emotion. Which is why so many churches, they have the singing, they have the music, they have the, you know, waving the hands and getting praise and all this stuff. Because they're trying to stir up emotion like some sort of voodoo. The Holy Spirit is not emotion. It's not adrenaline. It's not serotonin. It's actually... A spiritual thing. Now you may get more serotonin in your mind when when the Holy Spirit enters into you, but that's a product of the Holy Spirit, not a product of this emotionalism often surrounding religion. Verse 34, Think not that I come to send peace on the earth. I come to send uh, I, I come not to send peace, but a sword. Division. He's going to separate the goats and the sheep. He's going to separate those people who actually seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God from those people who seek self-righteousness and vanity because they want to believe that they are Christian because they really just believe in an ideology. They don't really actually believe in Christ. And because of that, they will end up eating at the table of harlots who ride the beast. They they will become members of public religion, not pure religion. Verse 35, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they 
of his own household. That's a real thing. And he that loveth the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth the son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he loves himself more than he loves the father is not worthy of him either. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now that's very important. So again, very clear, Christ has not done away with sacrifice. Sacrifice is just as much a part of the kingdom of God as it ever was. It's just the sacrifice of the Pharisees. The Corban of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect. Real sacrifice. Voluntary sacrifice. But, let's take us back to the beginning. Can you voluntarily sacrifice your life if you're under a strong delusion? If you don't know yourself. You gotta know what you're sacrificing. So you gotta know yourself. In order to know yourself, you have to walk in the light. And when you walk in the light, it will show you yourself. Well, how do you get in the light? Well, you, hopefully the Holy Spirit draws you near, but also Christ gave us certain things that we needed to do. And if we're not trying to do that with our whole heart, mind, and soul, which is following Christ, then we're going to be walking in darkness. We're not going to see. If our light is in our ideology, in the wisdom of our own mind, we're not going to see the wisdom of God. Well, I can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, but you're not going to see it. You've got to walk the walk. And when you try to walk the walk, you will either get better at it or you'll turn around and go the other way. Because it, it's... It's about repenting and going the way of Christ. And so we're showing you what the early Christians did. Our articles on the early church, early Christians, showing you what they were doing. That kingdom comes. Showing you what they were doing. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me, which is the Father. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth righteous man, in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give drink unto one of these little ones, a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily, I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So all this reference is the same as what we're going to see later on in Matthew, Matthew 25, verses, actually verses 33 through at least 46. And, uh, you know, and, and Matthew has a whole parable where the, then shall the king say unto them, on the right hand, 
Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. Uh, I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee hungry, hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? They don't even know what he's talking about. When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison? And came unto you, unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So it's very important. I put, I, you can hear me putting emphasis on the word brethren. The brethren are those that are doing the will of the Father. He who does the will of my Father is my mother and my brother. Matthew makes that clear time and time again. And so it's not just helping the poor. It's not just helping the beggar on the street. Although you never know who that beggar is. (laughs) The only way you'll know is by the Holy Spirit. And these people were doing what they were doing based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, but they did not even know that they were Christians. I give you lots of stories about that. People doing just bizarre things, going way out of their way to help people, and they don't even know why. But they're driven to do it, because they don't have the words of faith in their head yet. They don't have the name Jesus or Yeshua, but they have the name, the character, of Christ in them. And you can see it in their life. That they are repentant souls. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They don't have the vocabulary. They don't have the ideology. They don't have the philosophy. They don't have the Bible knowledge. But they're doing it. And Matthew makes that very clear when you get to Matthew. It's 25 verses 34 to 46. And you you can certainly look for that. And, and read it in more detail, but that's that's what reference he's making here now. But unfortunately, a lot of people can't tell a good man when they see one. <laughs> they're, they're not following the ways of Christ and the understanding of Christ. And they're actually doing the opposite, even though pretty clear in the book there is a table which we should not eat. It is set by men who exercise authority one over the other, who are often in government, for they force the contributions of the people, which Samuel says is foolish, many of the prophets say is foolish. And, and Jesus, Proverbs certainly says it's foolish. Psalm says it's foolish. Psalm says it's a snare. What should have been for your welfare is a snare and a trap. And Paul quotes David saying that. And of course, now if you go to our book, Covenants of the Gods, 
You go through, which is all free online. You go through chapter after chapter and it shows you because of covetous practices that people have been made merchandise. They're, they and their children are surety for debt. They are back in the bondage of Egypt and it's worse for them today than it was before. It's all very clear and to many of you, you just see it now. But are you just seeing it intellectually or are you seeing it spiritually? And the test of that is are you doing what Christ said to do. Now, some of you, they say, well, I can't find anybody to gather and they, and they don't, and they were so far apart and all that stuff. Do you need people to gather right next to you in order to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you of such little faith that you need a, a, a camaraderie of groups that come together in churches of 10, churches of a 50, and churches of a 100 where you can all hug one another and get that good feeling? It, your good feeling, your comforter is not the congregation. As soon as your comforter becomes the congregation, there is reason to be cautious. Because your comforter is the Holy Spirit. You must be led by the Holy Spirit. This will become more difficult to see if people really do start coming together and taking care of one another. Things had not got bad yet in Judea. When Christ was gathering his disciples, somebody was just talking to me the other day. He talked to a bunch of people uh, who deal with government. I guess they're in government. And they were talking about how bad things are getting. You know, gas is going up. Food is going up. I mean, it's really getting bad, they're saying. And he he said, it's not bad. It's not bad. Every one of you have food to eat. More food to eat than you know what to do with. Yeah, everyone, yeah, gas costs more, but you all got cars. You're all driving around. Yeah, you're not, it's not bad. Yeah. But it could get bad. But you have the opportunity now of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness before it gets bad. Once it gets bad, everybody's going to want to seek. <laughs> but are they? Really want to, they just want to see, looking for, you know, take care of me, protect me, provide for me. Well, at the same time, that people start, or, or shortly thereafter, when people actually start seeking the kingdom and start gathering together, then the persecutions will come and people will say, well, I don't know if I want to be like them. <laughs> but hopefully by then, We've taught you how to be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as dove. And that even though you in, in the midst of wolves as sheep, you are still safe because you got the power. You know, what's that song? I got the power. Do you have the power of God? The liberty that God gives us. The perfect law of liberty. Well, you're not going to get it unless you give it to others, unless you start sacrificing and, and following the ways of Christ. And that, of course, is what you have to do. So, with all that said, we got through verses all the way up to 10. Uh, I mean, all the way up to through 10, to chapter 10. And we got all those verses. Now we can start uh, next week on chapter 11. Uh, I've got several things that I already want to change in our page on 10. <laughs> but... Uh, like I said, uh, and then we can start in with chapter 11. 
and uh, and uh, I will keep uh, going through my notes and everything. Uh, I'm learning all the time. Uh, I had the basic message down. I had it figured out a long time ago based on what the Holy Spirit was telling me. Uh, but then I needed to help people with their unbelief. And, of course, what will really help them with their unbelief is signs and wonders. But when the signs and wonders start coming, then how do you know that you believe in the Holy Spirit or you just believe in the signs and wonders? You see, that's that's where we need to go. We need to go to that Holy Spirit now. That's an individual journey. Yeah, you can gather together in groups that can call each other up and have phone conferences. Well, that's all available now. But your individual walk is with you and the Holy Spirit. And and then immediately with your family, if you have a family, and then, then with your congregation, and then with congregations of congregations. We have to realize that John the Baptist was already setting people up into synagogues, congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands. That was predominant everywhere. You know, 50 years before in Parthia, that was so, so predominant that when the Romans came there, they could defeat the Roman legions to a man. And there was no Parthian empire. They they were just so united that Rome, even with their disciplined troops, could not make headway in in, in their land. They could defeat them with nothing but armed militia. Now, there was evidence in history that they were trying to form an empire. An empire has an emperor, a commander-in-chief, that starts depending upon the foolishness of Saul to strengthen his army, the forced offerings. As soon as you start to do that, you're... Your own homegrown military becomes mercenaries. And mercenaries never fight as hard or as diligently as the people that have the social bonds that Israel had. Israel could defeat armies much larger than themselves. Because there's lots of different ways to create those bonds. Sparta created those bonds. But... That, and they were courageous. They were also a bunch of Nazis. They were ruthless. And that's why we don't see a lot of Spartans anymore. <laughs> but you need to be that Christian. That Christian soldier. And then when the time comes, we we can withdraw the young men when the army comes. And say, this day you will see God fight the battle for you. Because ultimately, that's what you're going to need. Because the the battle that's coming will encompass the whole world. There there will be barely, barely any place to stand. And of course, we see Jesus in this chapter talking about fleeing to another city. Well, if you have a network all over the United States, of people that are actually hearing this message and living it and walking it, you will have a place to go in those other cities or maybe in the other countryside. But if you don't try to become that place for others by gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, 
Well, you may go the way of the world because you're not following the ways of Christ. So, repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, I see no hands going up. If anybody does have a question, thanks everybody for coming. If you have topics you want us to discuss in the afternoon show, you can get a hold of us through the network. Peace on your house. God bless. Thanks for coming. Smiley face back to you guys in the chat room. Uh, God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.